Oh God, let me pray now for the people in the sound of my voice, for your people who have chosen to hear me on today, God. Let me bless those who are listening. Within the sound of my voice, God, I pray that you revisit the spirit, mind, and body of those present right now, that the rejuvenation of their faith be a priority in this season, God. I am hoping that the refreshing, the fresh wind, and the revival of their commitment to you, God, be a priority in this season right now, God. As things are changing, as things are moving, as the wave of emotion is flowing, Father God, I pray that they be washed over anew, Father God. Those who believed for so long that what they were doing is and will always be correct. Lord God, I ask them to simply ask more questions, not to say that what they're doing is wrong or that it needs correction, but I'm asking because I would love for your people to go deeper with you, Father God. I know you seek a deeper relationship with them, Father God, and I know that each of them can can and and have the ability to get deeper when it comes to you, God, that we are able to get fully into our bag of faith and walk actively in it. Lord God, we need all hands on deck in this season. As your son approaches, God, children are having visions of the rapture, just like it says in the book, Father God. The babes are speaking of you, God. They're speaking of your return. They're speaking of your purpose in the world, God. You are raising up people who feel unqualified Lord God, if I can raise my hand right now, Jesus, you are you are telling people who who may feel like they are inadequate to speak out and up. Father God, you're raising up new Moseses, Father God, you're raising up new Jeremiah's, Father God, you're raising up those of us who feel like we may not have a voice. You're using our voice and our sound to use for your glory, God, and we are exalting your name along the way. Lord God, I pray for a wave of that to happen in this season, Father God, that all that hear your name would have an opportunity to choose you in their life and have great works fall upon them because of it, Father God. I pray for a refreshing of faith. I pray for a renewal renewal of faith. Father God, I bind up that stale, practiced faith, Lord God. And I want to replace that with an active fire an active, fresh wind, Father God. Move on your people right now in this season. Call them to their services. Call them to their offices. Call them to their gifts. Call them back to the church, Father God. Whichever they need, wherever they need to see you and seek you, let them go. Let them go with the most clearest intention to find what they seek, which is you, Father God. Have you speak in their life, O God? Have you move on their life, O God, see them, hear them, touch them, approach them where they are, where they are and ask them for real, tangible, logical questions. The questions they've been told they're not supposed to ask of you. Let them have the might and courage to ask and receive answers in the name of Yeshua. Mashiach, let them make you a friend, Father God. Let them talk to you like they never have before. Let them pray like they never have before. Father God, let them seek you like they never have before. God, you are doing something new in this kingdom. We need new. We need new refreshed soldiers, warriors. We need new and refreshed prophets and and speakers and ministers. Father God, we need new and refreshed musicians, Father God. We need new and refreshed artists, Father God. We need new and refreshed people of the body of Christ, our, our God, 
people of the body of Jehovah Jireh, Father God. We need new and refreshed hands on deck. And that newness can come from those who have been ever faithful, most diligent, for years and years of servitude, Father God. Let them flip their palms over and receive new callings, Father God. Let them stop the work they've been doing and flip their hands over and receive a new signing on their life, Lord God. Let those who were once carpenters flip their hands over and become masterful at a new thing in this season, Father God. Because you do not mean for them just to waste away in a stale position, but rather to raise them up and elevate them into higher heights father god let us seek more from you let us seek deeper into you god move on your people i pray this in the name of yeshua mashiach jesus amen this is the book of joe my book Let's go deep inside where the sea People stop reading the Bible. Let's open up the Exodus 28 to 11. All around the world. They don't understand it. Glory to God. There are so many promises in this book. We got to get back to telling the truth. John 16, 33. I'm told you things so that you may have peace. Nah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> you can't hear it down your face. The people just need to see it from a different perspective. God really is good all the time. God says, if he loved me, keep my commandments. I first asked myself, who's speaking? Did you trick you? And then everything sounds different from there. But God does not lie. I'm Jill, and this is what I found in the Bible. Hey, y'all. So I'm back, okay? I'm back, and I'm welcoming you back to another Book of Joe podcast. Listen, y'all, I don't know what God is doing with me, but he is doing some stuff, okay? After my baptism that took place the night after my wedding, um, I got married September 22nd of 2020, and I was baptized on the 23rd. And um, I began to dream right away. I began to receive a lot of dreams. My first dream that I received was of this red world. And um, I've been since getting a lot of information, you know, on the internet and things like that of our children. Even my godson had dreams and had a dream of the rapture. And um, so I dreamt that I was in this red world um, and it was uh, dark with a lot of shadowy places, but the sky was red as well. And I was on a date with Idris Alba, (laughs) y'all. And I was married. So, and listen, I already told this dream to Purnell. So he's okay. He knows there's nothing to be concerned about. But in my dream, I had gained me a little bit of notoriety over, over my lifespan. And I was at a level where they were interviewing my husband and they were asking him about our marriage and whether or not our marriage was consummated or not. And his answer was no. Um, and so my phone began to ring from all of these famous men. And I was turning them down left and right, like, listen, y'all stop it. I had my publicist there and, you know, some people on my team. And I was basically telling them, stop, chill. You know, I'm good. I just got married. Relax, y'all. And um, one of my girls, my publicist, she comes up to me and she's like, girl, it's Idris. I was like, Idris Alba? She was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because I know Idris got married recently. Let me interview him. Now, my husband is very aware of my interest in people. He knows that I love, love, love testimony. He knows I absolutely adore hearing what God is doing or has done 
in people's lives. So it would not offend my husband to go, whether it was in my waking life or in my sleep life, on a date to interview someone. And that's precisely what my intention um, was. So I took the date with Idris um, out of all the men that were calling. All right. And so what happened was, it's got to be a dream, right? So what happened was, um, in this world of destruction, um, I was walking through with Idris, just talking, having a normal conversation, very chill. And um, I was unharmed. I was pleasantly enjoying the conversation um, in the midst of all of the damnation around me. So that was basically the dream. And then two nights later, which was um, last night, I dreamt of, I dreamt of Yeshua riding in on a colt. And this is extremely interesting and important, especially for my walk, because, um, well, I'll get into that a little bit later. Let me tell you what the dream was. So I was on the right side of Yeshua, right? And the dream angle, um, one of the angles was I could see my profile and through my profile, um, past it, I could see Yeshua, right? In this crowd of people on the colt, on the, on the little horse on the donkey, right? And um, and then another direction, I can look directly at him. Um, and without, I don't remember everything, but I know he was, I know he was dirty and I know he was brown skin. And I know that he was uh, muscular to the sense of attraction because I, I like forearms on men. And um, I noticed his forearms. Couldn't tell you what his face looked like, y'all. But I knew that he was a brown man. And I knew that he was uh, a worker because he was a bit dirty and his clothes were a bit dingy. Um, So anyway, um, that was the gist of the dream, right? But immediately what I got for it when I woke up is had he been on a real horse, we'd wonder if it was really him. And that blew me away because a horse would have set him too high in the air where the sun would have blared his face. And we wouldn't have quite caught him as clearly as I was able to or as the people in the crowd were able to, to identify him properly, right? He would have been too high up for us to see his face in the sun, right? So he was the, in the perfect position riding on this colt for us to comfortably look up at him, all right? And that was something simple, but it taught me a lot. It taught me a whole lot. And um, I remember when I was 14, I'd, I'd written these poems. And one was called The Queen's Son. And the other one was called My Prince. And um, I hadn't thought of Jesus at age 14 when I wrote these, right? But I surely thought of the poems I wrote. After I had that dream. (sighs) My prince. Heir to the pre-laid throne of Project Bricks. Dressed in royal garb of khaki and raw denim. With a 42-inch link that hangs from your neck. Thugged out. On street sidewalks embedded with glass, you rest your kicks about a foot apart and fold your arms, impenetrable to your surroundings and invisible to those who even think to notice you, and silent, because they wouldn't understand what you have to say. Even those leveled to you are in awe of your prestige, 
They're willing to execute their own self-worth for you to give them meaning. They look into your eyes and they see colors, hand-painted by God, but they feel, oh, they feel life. Through the wind that you exhale from your nostrils, alive is the last thing they want for you. And you need no one but God. And maybe you're a king, my prince, because your legs are as strong as the sycamore bark, your back as broad as the sea, as vast as the Sahara, and your soul is the morning vapor on which the leaves in the deep tropics of the Amazon feast. Untouchable are you. Though the petals on your face we call lips are sealed, I can still hear you roar. Your story untold and unspeakable because there are no words to express your struggle. Yet, I know your tale of sorrow. It emanates through the concentration in your face. A fully grown man made between the love of I and God's gift intended to me. A man. To help me lay out this lowly mounted throne. Your inheritance. A charity. Your unwanted kingdom the ghetto. Too simple for my prince. But yet, a foundation made of bricks that you can build on. Now, I wrote that poem when I was 14 years old, and I had just, I had just really started this walk with God. Um, I began truly understanding that there's a God above me and that he's doing some things in me and that he knew my name when I was about 13 years old, 12 or 13. And um, I began my relationship with him then. But I wasn't thinking of Jesus when I wrote that poem. And um, yet and still, I thought of that poem after the dream I had today. And I was studying with my son, the Phoenician Empire, uh, who's my son is in homeschool, and we located Jerusalem, and we located Nazareth, and I thought about the jokes that I've heard people make along my my journey, and I've thought of John one, um, verse forty six, and it says, and Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. In my dream. Yesha was, was so dirty, like so dirty. And I, I realized he was very hood. And a good friend of mine said to me, you know, the disciples were like a rugged gang. If you really think about it, the way they, they traveled, it's 12 of them, you know. And to the Pharisees, they cause a lot of mischief. They're misunderstood, right? And when I wrote my prince, I thought of the brothers I see on the block. And I thought of their power and presence. And I thought of how regal they are, even in their Tims, even with their 42-inch length chains, even with their, their unwanted kingdom made of bricks that we call the projects, the ghetto. I thought of how they rise above it all, right? And then I think of how Yeshua too must have struggled with his qualifications being young. I think of where I came from, you know, sleeping on the uh on the on the mattress to iron my my clothes out because we didn't have electricity sometimes or you know uh heating up the water for the bathtub on the stove you know like 
I didn't live necessarily necessarily in the projects. Um, my grandmother and my great grandmother and my mother worked really hard um, to provide, but to keep the provisions that they they had provided us a really uh, what we would call a hood experience, right? So I can relate to a lot of things that happened in the hood, even though I wasn't necessarily in the projects. I made a lot of friends in the projects, so I, I was there often, but I, I wasn't necessarily from there, right? And so I thought about how I struggled with my qualifications to be able to speak on the word of God, the way that I'm doing, the way that I'm committed to do moving forward. And, you know, I thought about Jesus and I thought about how Yeshua was coming from a place that people have so little to say nice things about. Right. And I imagined it to be like like my husband talked about Patterson, you know, Patterson, New Jersey. And there's a, there's some good things in Patterson, clearly. Right. Because I have a wonderful husband from there. But the overall assumption about Patterson is that it's a tough city or that it was really tough back in the day. And um, we have a place out here in Connecticut that has a similar com- connotation. It's Waterbury, you know, and the Waterbury hood, you know, they call it dirty water. You know, they call it dirty water. And, and the hood experience out there is very real. So I wrote this poem about I wrote that poem rather about the products of those environments. Right. And. Um, I wrote it to let those people know that the place that they dwell doesn't define what dwells in them, right? And I remember hearing a sermon of Jesus riding on a colt. And I meant to, and this, this is what I was saying I was going to get back to. This sermon changed my life. It was my 35th birthday, and I had gone to a blessing for one of our 13 godchildren. 14 godchildren, uh, if we count some 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 extras that have joined recently and I was going to her blessing and the the pastor man I couldn't sit still I felt like he was talking to me he told me I mean he told everybody in the church but specifically me that God is looking to qualify us in spite of our opinions on who we are right and you know, I told y'all during my sermon on light salt, which you guys can go watch, I mean, listen to um, after this if you want, that I was so self-conscious about stepping forward in this way to do these um, episodes and sharing all that I find in the gospel or that all that I'm doing in the spirit. I was, I was, you know, self-conscious about that because I don't have a large amount of biblical expertise. But the part that I really skipped about the real reason behind my underqualified feelings was the part that admits that I only underqualified myself truly because I aborted my second son. And it went against a covenant I made with God ever since I started my menstruation cycle. And I had a covenant with God that said, if you guys read my book, then you know this already, that um, I was not going to worry about when and how I was going to get pregnant. I was going to let God choose the time and place as long as he gave me a son. And so I did that when it came to legend. But then I made some choices. And those choices led me to get pregnant again. And I could not go through with it. And I had such guilt. I had such guilt because I still mourn that little boy. I know it's a boy because 
that's my agreement with God. And that's how I felt in the spirit. I knew, I knew that boy and I, um, I named him Titan. So, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that there was no other way for the person that I was at that time to handle that situation. But I just recently tossed out all of that pain with my baptism. Um, and this is recent. This is this is seven days ago, you know, if that. Yeah, seven days ago, you know. So then for Yeshua to reveal himself to me on this cult in my dream, I truly believe it was to remind me of how ready and fully submitted I was when I came to that sermon. Um, and I surrendered during that sermon all that I could to God that day. And under the understanding that if anyone asked me why, I would simply just answer because the Lord hath need of it. Which is what Jesus told them when they went to go get that um, cult. And I'll read that to you guys in a minute. But I believe he wanted me to remember that point of the sermon. Um, and its effects that it had on me. So I studied from multiple from multiple angles and I've been studying from multiple angles lately like I'm all over the Bible and the spirit realm and and a lot of different things are happening in my life and so I'm studying left and right but I believe there was something about this in this quick study of the gospels and what Zechariah had to say that's for you who's listening today so the message today is called the lowly mounted throne Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you use me in this time. I pray that whomever is listening has come to hear encouragement, Father God, and that you allow your word to encourage them in this moment, that wherever they place themselves, you can elevate and move them higher. As long as they seek you first, Father God, as long as they seek to please you first, as long as they fully submit all that they have to you first, Father God, you will lift them higher, Father God. You will help them out of their circle circumstance, Father God. However low they're feeling at this time, however lowly mounted their throne is, Father God, you can elevate them in this time. Let your word come forth and heal your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So it is said that Yeshua rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before his crucifixion on a donkey or a foal, right? So what happened here? And if you go to Matthew 21, uh, verse 1 through 11, and I'm actually tag verse 12 onto it it starts and when they drew near unto jerusalem all right this is where they were headed to begin with this is the destination all right that's why he's starting this way and when they drew near unto jerusalem and were come to bethpage unto the mount of olives then sent jesus two disciples saying unto them go into the village over against you and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. All right. He wanted both of them. And if a man say aught unto you, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All right. So that was big. Okay. Because in the sermon, when that was given to me uh, in the sermon, it was telling us to render whatever God requests of you. All right. You got to know that this donkey, this cult was important to to its owners. It was it was the equivalent of a car. You know, he was commandeering both their vehicles. OK, so, you know, there would be some reluctancy there, but he gave them what to say. 
And we're going to get to why that was important. But here we go. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. All right. He's talking about the prophet Zechariah as well as the prophet Isaiah. Okay. I'll get to that too. All right. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. So notice that the fulfillment is present here. And it's that of Zechariah 9, 9, which is placed before these gospels even began. And in Zechariah, it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. All right. Then the prophet Isaiah spoke to it as well. In chapter 62, verse 11, Isaiah said, behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold. His reward is with him and his work before him. All right. So the word travels fast and things were connected in this connecting in this moment. Right. That the people had heard before it's being affirmed before their eyes. All right. So this is much like how we can choose to see today if we're truly willing believers. The things that we're seeing in front of our eyes are the things that have been said to be coming to pass. And so they're getting excited at the same time of being curious as to what's going on because the fulfillment is happening before their eyes of two prophets who spoke before them that they by now have probably heard the legend of. Okay? So Jesus was a legend in their midst at this point and he was sure to be whispered about amongst themselves, right? But they didn't ask him who he was like many of us would be if a celebrity came to town that we're familiar with but we've never seen before, right? We've heard the name but we never we don't know the face. So you have to take note of that, right? Take note that if all the disciples um that if all the disciples needed to say was that the Lord hath need of the animals, then surely the owners of the animals had faith in the Lord, right? If that's all they needed to say, then the owners were also disciples of Yeshua, all right? Because how else would they know who the disciples were speaking about, right? So that's just to just affirm the fact that this, this moment right here where he's riding in on this beautiful reception is the result of his name ringing bells from town to town, Okay? Let's continue in Matthew 20, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon. So they used their clothes to cushion his bottom. Okay, and probably not that comfortable riding on a colt. And colts are young, so they, they probably haven't been rode on before. It says, I think in Luke, that it had never been rode before, right? So um, So that speaks to to God's temperament over the animal kingdom as well, right? Because he let he let him ride him, right? The colt let him ride, all right? So, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. They spread their clothes in the way, meaning on the floors, on the streets. They laid out a carpet for him, right, of their clothes. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. So they're throwing palms to the feet. That's how Palm Sunday became the name, all right? 
and the multitudes that went before and that followed. So he entered with a flock behind him who were following him, knowing he was on his way to Jerusalem where these, these things were said to be taking place or going to take place. All right. And he was being greeted by a bunch of people in front of him, welcoming him. All right. And all were in adoration for a man who'd done so much before this moment that they all became believers. Okay. And they cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means praise, right? Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Now pause. Okay. Now the man's name is known. All right. Like I just said, his name is ringing bells from town to town. They know about Jesus of Nazareth by now. Okay. He has a crowd forming in the back of him and in the front of him. Yet it is noted that after the, the people have thrown their clothes at his feet and after they've laid the palms at, at the feet of the donkey. All right. After the fanfare, everyone, the multitude, it's like saying everybody, everybody's asking who he is, but they're doing this stuff, but they're asking who he is, which tells me there's something about his entry that made them unsure of who he is. And one thing we know is that he was riding on a donkey. So that's the first thing that they were probably like, where's your Corvette? Where's your Beamer? Where's your, you came in on a Honda. All right. You came in on a Toyota. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is going on here? Where's your Lexus? Where's what? Okay. What? All right. And in my dream, he was supremely dirty. All right. He was disheveled. All right. So, I mean, okay. All right. So he may have been uh, elevated by like three feet riding on this donkey because colts and foals, they are between three feet and five feet. So let's just say about three and a half feet, four feet, maybe. All right. He himself is only five feet five. So all y'all ladies who love y'all a tall man, Jesus was not tall, boo. Okay. He was five feet, five inches tall, according to a lot of the scholars and according to the bones and remains of the people of that time. It was the average height of a male. All right. So this explains how the small horse wasn't exhausted by him riding it. Right. So that that backs up that claim that he was a smaller man in, in height because a six foot man might have been 220 pounds. Right. Or something like that been heavy, right? And he's a carpenter on top of that, so he's bulky and stocky, right? So on top of a colt, the Messiah might have been altogether nine feet tall, right? A basketball uh, hoop height. And y'all know from looking at basketball hoops in your park, in your neighborhood, it's not an uncomfortable stretch to view him, right? To reach out to him. Some of y'all can jump as high to touch him, right? It's not that high. If you're six feet tall, that ain't that high. All right. So he didn't ride in on an elephant or even more commonly a camel, which would have put him about 12 feet in the air if he rode on the camel, which is super common. Right. He took the more approachable way, just high enough to remain out of harm's way and have and yet still have some vantage point, but low enough not to set him too far away from his people. That's important. All right. Then in 11, he says, and the multitude said to those people who were asking, right? This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. 
So he came in peacefully. Because if he had rode in on a horse, y'all, that was an indication of the war intentions back then, right? So he came in that way, but he, in peace meaning, but he wasn't necessarily there for the applause because the first thing he did was make a mess. And this is why I attached verse 12 to this, because in verse 12, it says, and Jesus went into the temple. This is right after. Okay. This comes after. The situation, the applause, the fanfare. Yes, Jesus is here. It's lit. He went into the city. Okay. And it says, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. So y'all in here buying and selling goods in the house of the Lord. He was pissed. And so he overthrew the tables of the cashiers, the money changers. Right. It says. And the seats of them that sold doves. So he flipped tables and chairs up in there. He made a mess. And then he said unto them, it is written. Now y'all know when he says it is written, it is not a quotation here. All right. He is saying it is written. Therefore, right? Not it is written as if, okay. It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Okay, so he, he is livid. And in reading this for myself, I realized distinctions that are made in great leadership. The higher you lift yourself above the people, the more likely you are to become an easy target for your enemies. That's one, right? Leaving your people without guidance when you do that. Right. Because if they take you out before you've delivered, before you've before you've accomplished your goal, because you're prideful and haughty, you do your people a disservice. You do the people God assigned to you a disservice. Right. The gift of the lowly mounted throne. Right. Is the humility to remain approachable and likable. But it also enables us to toggle back and forth from the regal palms being tossed at our feet to us tossing tables with our palms flipped up for the glory of God. You understand? So there's a fine line and it's almost, it's like no one has as much practice riding the line between the unreasonable and the graceful as much as those who come from the lowly mounted ghettos of this nation. All right. So I'm going to encourage y'all real quick because I know there's some nurses right now from the projects that call for vitals and they assess patient care with the professionalism of a doctor, all right? And one would never believe that they leave that hospital only to ride the dangerous subways back home, back to very loud neighbors and pissy hallways and gunfire lullabies at night, right? And they protect themselves simply on their smarts and their hearts, right? And these are the people of God, right? Those of us who answer our phones with the aggression undetected on our professional jobs, right? But then we have to use our voices to demand justice and peace in protest lines in our loud roars. Those dualities equal the people of God, right? They have all the stuff our prince was made of that our king Loves to use our king in heaven, our father in heaven, the prince. Jesus is a king. But at this point, he's the prince of heaven, right? 
The people who have to live in that duality, who have to code switch in this way, coming from the hoods to make a better way into these professional realms, those people have the stuff of the man from Galilee, all right? So my point is that we all mount a low throne, right? We balance a kingdom in the shadows and an approachable, loving tenderness in the light. That's the way of Jesus. You're already almost there, right? And as long as the throne is lowly, meaning humble, God can elevate it to heights that a camel or a horse could never even attempt to, right? So as a follow-up to to the light salt sermon I did, I just want to continue to encourage you all and myself to embrace what makes us rough around the edges. You got to love that Nazareth in you that makes people ask who we are in the middle of a parade being thrown for us. Like they are wondering who is this man, the nerve of this guy, while people are fanning him with their clothes, right? That's how we have to be. We have to shake them up. They have to be confused as to why we're being so blessed in the middle of our trepidation. Y'all feel me? Okay? So as a follow-up to Light Salt, you know, I just want y'all to get comfortable with the underestimation of this world against you, the people of God. Because those of us who are sent are sent like Matthew 10, 16's sheep in the midst of wolves. It says, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. All right, because they do not see us as opponents, rather, rather they see us as prey, right? So use that mistake to your benefit and to your endurance in these last days and endure to the end as they underestimate your power, your purpose, and your presence and your position. In the kingdom. Use it to your advantage. Keep your lowly mounted throne. Alright. But it is no less a throne. Because it's low. I love y'all. And so does God. God bless you on your journey. Amen. The Book of Joe is but a portion of a family ministry called the Black Love Smiths. To follow the Black Love Smiths, you can do so at Black Love Smiths on Instagram or Facebook. To get into contact with Joe, please email bookofjoe at gmail.com. God bless you.